Hello, and welcome to Notes in the Week Ahead, a JP Morgan Asset Management podcast that provides insights on the markets and the economy to help you stay informed in the week ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at JP Morgan Asset Management. Today's November 27th, 2023. Last Wednesday, the University of Michigan released its final reading on consumer sentiment for November, with the index coming in at 61.3 up from its flash reading, but down from October, and worse than 92% of monthly sentiment readings since 1978. Meanwhile, the misery index for October, calculated as the sum of the unemployment rate and the year-over-year CPI inflation rate, came in at 7.1%, better, or that is to say, lower, than it has been 79% of the time over the same period. We continue to have a bottom decile attitude about a top quartile economy. This general gloom may account for part of the recent build-up in retail money market funds, which have risen by almost 50% over the past year to over $2.2 trillion. While some of this is the result of outflows from bank deposits, much of it represents long-term savings that investors are unwilling to commit to long-term investments. One reason for investor caution is concern about corporate margins. In particular, many fear that in 2024, margins will be squeezed by rising wages, rising interest rates, and slower revenue growth. The concern is not unreasonable. However, before surrendering to the idea of a margin slump, it's worth examining the current extraordinary strength of US corporate margins. This strength was on full display during the third quarter earnings season, which is just wrapping up. As of November 20th, and with almost 95% of S&P 500 companies reporting, 79.9% had beaten estimates and earnings, the best reading in six quarters. This was despite the fact that only 62.5% beat estimates on sales, the worst reading in 14 quarters. Operating earnings per share were up 4.3% year-over-year according to Standard & Poor's, and 5.3% year-over-year using the pro-forma earnings estimates compiled by FactSet. An alternative measure of earnings, the adjusted after-tax profits of all US corporations, will be released on Wednesday as part of the revised third-quarter GDP report. We expect this measure to show a small year-over-year loss, However, this measure of earnings held up much better in 2022 than S&P 500 earnings per share and is still at historically very high levels. More to the point, these modest recent gains in profits tend to obscure the big picture. Since 2016, overall S&P 500 profit margins, defined as earnings as a percent of sales, have risen from 9.2% to 11.6%. Total S&P 500 EPS for 2016 was $106.26. This year, we expect it to be $214.33, or 101.7% higher. We believe the government's measure of the adjusted after-tax profits for all U.S. corporations will rise by a more modest but still impressive 50% between 2016 and 2023. Even allowing for CPI inflation of 27% over the same period, the growth in earnings has been remarkable. More broadly, between 1950 and 1995, the adjusted after-tax profit share of GDP averaged 6.0%. Since 2012, it has averaged 11.1%. The bottom line is that U.S. corporations have been extraordinarily successful at building and maintaining profit margins. So how have they done this, and can they maintain or even grow margins in the years ahead? One useful way of looking at the rise of the profit share of GDP is to consider the shares of GDP that have fallen. As noted above, the adjusted after-tax corporate profit share of GDP rose from an average of 6.0% in 
between 1950 and 1995 to an average of 10.1% between 2012 and today, an increase of 4.1 percentage points. Over the same period, the compensation share of GDP fell by 2.7 percentage points, and from 55.7% to 52.9%. The net interest share fell by 1.8 percentage points, from 4.2% to 2.4%, and the corporate tax share fell by 1.5 percentage points, from 3.3% to 1.9%. The declining compensation share of GDP essentially reflects a reduction in the bargaining power of workers relative to employers. One aspect of this decline is falling union membership. In the 1950s, more than 30% of US workers were members of a trade union. However, since then, this percentage has fallen very steadily, and by last year, union membership was 10.1% overall and just 6.0% in the private sector. This may well have inhibited the growth in wages. One stark reflection of this is that year-over-year wage growth has now fallen steadily for almost two years despite an unemployment rate that has been below 4% since December 2021. Overall wage growth at 4.1% year-over-year in October remains higher than the Federal Reserve would like. However, with productivity growth of 2.2% year-over-year in the third quarter, it is, in fact, entirely compatible with the Fed's 2% consumption deflation inflation target. A second important point is that businesses are having some success in holding the lines on benefits. Between 2001 and 2015, hourly benefit costs grew at a 1.1% faster annual rate than wages. And since 2015, businesses have held the growth in benefits to a 0.4% slower annual rate than wages. Net interest costs have also fallen sharply in the long run. This mostly reflects a historic decline in long-term interest rates from the early 1980s when BAA corporate bond deals peaked at over 17% to the pandemic recession when they fell to nearly 3%. And since then, they have backed up sharply with other interest rates and currently yield over 6%. However, importantly, large US corporations took advantage of the lower rate environment of recent years to lock in lower interest rates. Currently, almost half of the outstanding debt of S&P 500 companies' ex-financials matures after 2030 with no more than 7% maturing in any one year between now and then, and only 7% of this debt is floating rate. This suggests that a very prolonged period of higher long-term interest rates could begin to erode profit margins. However, more likely, corporations can largely play for time until the next recession and bout of Fed easing gives them another opportunity to lock in low interest rates. And finally, there's the issue of taxes. Various federal and state tax breaks have reduced the corporate tax share of GDP in the second half of the 20th century. Since 2000, corporate taxes were fairly steady as a share of GDP until the passage of the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which permanently reduced the federal corporate income tax rate from 35% to 21%. The 2022 Inflation Reduction Act marginally increased corporate tax revenue by assessing a 15% alternative minimum tax on book income. We do not expect any major change in tax policy between now and the 2024 presidential election. However, in 2025, Washington will have to address the expiration of many tax breaks for individuals from the 2017 tax law. While the 21% corporate tax rate is not one of these provisions, it is of course possible that a new Congress administration would try to pay for the extension of personal income tax breaks by raising corporate taxes. However, it is more likely that deficit financing or dubious future spending cuts will be invoked to fund the extension. Lower corporate, tax, uh, lower corporate taxes are set to stay. Of course, margins are threatened by recession. Corporate profits are always more cyclical than the economy as a whole because a, con- a company's 
can't cut costs as fast as revenues fall in the downturn. However, for as long as the economy continues to expand slowly, corporations should be able to maintain high margins. When recession hits, margins will fall, but companies will be able to take advantage of lower interest rates and are very likely to exploit weaker labour markets by taking a harder line in compensation. Moreover, when recession hits, Congress has historically provided corporate tax breaks to spur investment rather than tax hikes to refill empty federal tax coffers. This should allow margins to rebound to today's high levels in economic recovery. As we enter the last month of 2023, investors have much to be thankful for. The economy has avoided recession so far, inflation is falling, some geopolitical risks are easing, and long-term interest rates have fallen from their peaks. All of this has allowed an equity rally to resume after a slump in the fall, with the S&P 500 now up almost 19% year-to-date. Even with this performance, U.S. stocks do not look particularly expensive outside of a few mega-cap names, under two conditions. Namely, that lower inflation allows long-term interest rates to slowly drift down, and U.S. corporations can defend their margins. Looking forward to 2024, and barring some major shock, both of these conditions seem very attainable. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week, and if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions and current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide.